Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is breaking down the conferences. So Jalen and I are beginning a 10-part series today, which begins with breaking down each conference that we've chosen. We've chosen 10 conferences so we're going to break down each one, starting with the Southeastern Conference, otherwise known as the SEC. So Jalen and I are looking at seven teams in the SEC, and we both are going to pick out a sleeper team to watch out for as well. The first team we're going to talk about is Tennessee, who are 8-1 and one right now and 2-1 and one in conference play. Jalen, why do you think Tennessee has been so successful so far this season? So I think the thing with them is just that they have, like, elite talent at the guard position. Like, I mean, when you really look at them as a team right now, I mean, Keon, Keon Johnson and um, Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer are arguably, like, from a talent standpoint, like, one of the better backcourts in the SEC this season from a talent perspective. And – I think that that's going to be something that's going to be really important down the stretch for those two. We haven't really seen a lot from them. It's kind of one of those things where it's like a your turn, my turn thing in terms of who decides to really step up to the plate and kind of play out of their mind. Um, as of late, it's been more so Keon Johnson, which is interesting because Jaden Springer was a guy who was actually being discussed a bit more in terms of NBA prospect um, and more as an NBA prospect coming into this season. So it's kind of interesting that Keon Johnson is actually the guy who's taken the helm. But this guy by the name of John Fulkerson, man, he is he is a model of consistency. I mean, in the game against our, um, against Arkansas recently, 16 and eight rebounds. I mean, that is that is something that they've been able to kind of lean on um, in terms of Fulkerson's play. I mean, he's not he hasn't been a guy who's going to have crazy offensive outputs. I mean, he had think about seven points against Alabama, 11 points against Missouri. Like he's he's not a guy who's going to put up crazy numbers on a consistent basis, but he's been a guy who's been in the mix. Um, throughout the season as a near double-digit point-per-game um, point score. So I think this is just a team that, A, is kind of benefiting from the fact that they haven't played any crazy competition yet. I mean, Arkansas and Alabama are definitely two teams that um, are dangerous um, coming down the stretch, but especially with the way they've played so far. But they split those games, and then obviously Tennessee handed it to Missouri with a 20-point win over them. Or, uh, later on um, in in December. So I just think this is a team that, remember, earlier on the year was like, I really want to see Tennessee play because they started out this, the, the season not really even playing games when every other college was. Now they've kind of started with some out-of-conference play against teams like USC Upstate and Tennessee Tech and Appalachian State. But now that they're getting into conference play, I think this is where we're going to see what this team is really made of. Tennessee is becoming a solid team right now. And it's really relying on the play of guys like Jaden Springer, John Fulkerson, and Victor Bailey Jr., who have really contributed 
to the team's offensive success. Jaden Springer, you've mentioned, Jalen, has the capability of being a potential lottery pick. John Fulkerson shot the ball efficiently in their last game versus Arkansas, which really was one of the factors that led Tennessee to defeat Arkansas. And then we also mentioned guys like Josiah Jordan James and Keon Johnson, who have stepped up big for Tennessee on both sides of the floor. And their only loss so far was to Alabama, which is another team we're going to talk about. And I believe Alabama is going to be a force to be reckoned with in the SEC. But Tennessee is a team that could honestly be the best team in the conference and could be in the mix for winning the SEC championship. For sure. Definitely one of those teams that I think are just going to have to catch their stride. I think SEC play is going to bring out the best in them. And I think the volunteers are one of those teams that as they pick up, I think we're going to see more and more why Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson are discussed as first round picks because they are going to have to be major players down the stretch if this team wants to be not only a threat in their own conference, but definitely a threat going into the NCAA tournament. So moving on to Arkansas, who is nine and two right now and one and two in conference play. Jalen, how much of a force do you believe that Arkansas could be in the SEC? So Arkansas is really an interesting situation because this is one of those teams where, like, Ryan, when I was going through the standings and trying to send you the top seven teams, this is one of those situations where it kind of shocked me that Arkansas has played as well as well as they have so far this year. I mean, we're talking about a team that yes, they've been one and two in conference play, but nine and two on the season with an eight and one record at home. Like that just, that just goes to show you how, like how much pride they take in, in winning at home. You know what I mean? And obviously two back-to-back losses to Tennessee and Missouri is, is kind of rough, but they had a really good win against Auburn. That was 97 to 85. And I think that was one of those, um, one of those victories that's going to help them moving down the line. And Desi Sills, uh, Sills, I hope I'm saying his name correctly, because I, I really want to praise him. Desi Sills is a guy who's been balling out for a good majority of the season. He's the one who led the team in scoring 23 points and 20, um, 23 points in 35 minutes with six rebounds against Auburn as well as this guy, J.D. Note. He's a guy, their backcourt, man, uh, along with, uh, along with uh, Moody, who might be their, their taller guy uh, back there at 6'6", Moses Moody out of Montverde. This team with their three-guard lineup that they have, they are super dynamic, super dynamic. Moses Moody is a guy who's going to end up being a, a, a first-round draft pick somewhere in this upcoming draft if he comes out. And that just goes to show you what kind of talent they have because he might not even be playing the best at the guard position on their team right now. I think that Arkansas is in a really interesting standpoint right now because, Ryan, I think we both can agree that Arkansas is not used to getting NBA caliber players through their program at all. And so the fact that they were able to get a guy like Moses Moody in particular, I mean, they are in a really good situation right now. And I mean – Going back to even games like ACU, which is not necessarily a significant win, but that team is 7-3 and three right now. Moses Moody had 21 points. Desi Sills had 18 points. JD had 19. Like, this three-guard lineup is crazy in terms of what they can do on the offensive side of the ball. And I think that if they can wake up against the SEC, 
they'll be in a really good position moving forward. But it seems like one of those things where they all three need to perform extremely well for the team to be successful. Because when they have off nights, this team this team struggles. JD has probably been the biggest mode of consistency out of the three guards in the lineup because Moody and Sills have both had pretty lackluster games over the last two games in particular against SEC competition. But I think Arkansas just has a unique situation with their guards that's going to make them a force to reckon with throughout the SEC. And it's really interesting, like I said, because I don't think this is a team – I think this is a team that we would more so talk about in, like, football or something than we would be talking about in basketball, especially in terms of having an NBA prospect. And that unique situation that you're talking about really involves two great 15-point playmakers, 15-point-a-game playmakers in Moses Moody and J.D. Nate. They've also gotten consistent scoring production from guys like, like you mentioned, Desi Sills and Justin Smith and Jalen Tate. All five of those players that we've mentioned so far, Moody, Nate, Sill, Smith, and Tate, all five of those players are keeping up their production on the defensive side. All of them average a steal a game. And as a team, they've kept it competitive against Tennessee. And I think they can compete with other teams in the SEC. And this is another team in Arkansas where I kind of feel like with the three-guard lineup that you mentioned with Moody, Nate, and Sills, I feel like that's going to take them deep in games and really keep them competitive against teams like Missouri, Tennessee, Alabama, Florida, and LSU. And I think that Arkansas is another team that's, that's throwing their name in the mix for, for winning the SEC championship. And not that these compare on a similar level, but this might hit kind of close to home. But another team that we're extremely used to in our area, specifically winning with a three guard lineup and actually shocked the world a few years ago was UMBC. So not to say that they're on the same level because UMBC shot the three ball extremely well for their size at guard and considerably um, better than most teams in the NCAA tournament that year. But Arkansas has the kind of talent. I don't think UMBC had anybody who was as talented as a guy like Moses Moody, for example, um, at the guard position. And I think that's kind of the X factor that makes them significantly different is maybe they don't have that barrage style of play, but they have three guys, in particular, in particularly Moses Moody, who can take you off the dribble, play high-level basketball with a high-level IQ, get everybody involved, and put the ball in the basket at a high clip. So, I mean, we saw UMBC do their thing a couple of years ago, and I, I mean, I think Arkansas is one of those teams, too, that we should keep our eye out on because they're a team that doesn't pop out on the screen when you think basketball, but golly, can they, can they score? And, I mean, that's the name of the game, right? Another team we should keep our eyes out on is LSU. LSU is seven and two right now and two and one in conference play. Jalen, what factors do you believe have led LSU to be seven and two right now and to be one of the best teams in the Southeastern Conference? I'm going to keep this one nice and short because it's actually really easy. It's two words Cam Thomas. Dude. I, I can't I can't keep harping on this dude. This this guy is a player, man. He's literally putting himself in the position to be arguably one of the best freshmen this year. I mean, he's he's probably he's a guy who offensively is taking over the SEC in ways that we honestly thought 
that most of the Kentucky guys were going to, specifically B.J. Boston, but I think Terrence Clark was also in this discussion as well. And instead, it's Cam Thomas for LSU. 26 points in a win over, in a two-point win over Georgia, who we'll be talking about in a little bit. Another significant loss, but still a relatively close game, lost 79 to 83. Cam Thomas had 28 against Florida. Like, this is a guy who can literally cook with the best of them. I remember there was a post-game interview a couple of weeks ago, and the question was, the question to Cam was, what is your favorite place to score on the court? And he simply responded with one word everywhere (laughs) and I think when you score 32 points in 34 minutes against Texas A&M I feel like you're pretty comfortable scoring anywhere on the court so I think that Cam Thomas is literally the driving factor as to why LSU is as dangerous as they are and although he may not be the only player really balling for them this year because I think that Watford is another guy who's been playing relatively well for them as well I think that Cam Thomas being the little engine that could for this team is making LSU look extremely good. And it's amounting to wins, which is always great when you're putting out these kind of statistical outputs. And Cam Thomas has really been the driving force behind LSU's success. He leads the team in scoring. And Jalen, I could put in a bid for Cam Thomas to be the conference player of the year. I think he has that capability. Darius Day's is a double-digit scorer and leads the team in rebounds. Javante Smart, who you've mentioned before, is a good facilitator. He leads the team in assists. And we're even seeing some flashes of potential from Sharif O'Neal, who committed to LSU this past year. I feel like LSU can really be a force in the SEC. And Cam Thomas, I feel like we should have mentioned this in the last episode with the National Player of the Year conversation, Cam Thomas is a guy that we should have thrown in to that conversation. I agree. Especially with his impact on both sides of the floor and the offensive production that he's provided to LSU. I think he's averaging close to 25 points a game right now. And you mentioned in one of the games that he's played in, he put up 30 points in 34 minutes. Jalen, Cam Thomas is a force to be reckoned with on the LSU side. And I feel like, with his production and guys like Darius Days and Javante Smart, LSU could be a dark horse, not only in the SEC, but if they make it to the March Madness tournament. Yeah, this is a team that, man, would they have loved to have Sharif O'Neal on this team, dude. I mean, oh my God. If Sharif was playing like consistently for this team, if, if, if things weren't so staggered, with this team and they were able to keep him around this team offensively would just be like one of the scariest sec teams that we've seen in a while. That's not a Kentucky team. Um, So I think one of the biggest things with them is just, I agree with you. I think that they're in a significant circumstance because of the fact that they're not a team that we really saw coming by any means. You know what I mean? I think Cam Thomas was always going to be a question as to whether or not he could be a fringe first round pick in the NBA, um, in the NBA draft coming out of Oak Hill. But that was, that was kind of it outside of maybe Watford, who we were talking about a little bit last year. 
So, man, talk about overachieving and kind of standing above expectations. I wish that a guy in Sharif O'Neal would have been able to play more than just one game this year because this team would be lethal, like scary lethal offensively. If you told me the one-two punch was Cam Thomas and Sharif at the top, just putting the ball in the basket on a consistent basis. So moving on to Missouri. Missouri is 7-2 and two right now and 1-2 and two in conference play. Jalen, how far do you believe Missouri can go if they make it to, say, the March Madness tournament? So here's the thing with Missouri is I just don't know if they're really that dangerous of a team. Like they're so, I don't know, man. It's like they, it's like their wins are so interesting, but then their losses are also kind of head scratchers. So they beat Oregon early. They beat Wichita state. They get Illinois by three. But then they wet the bed against Tennessee and get blown out by 20. But then they almost beat Arkansas by 20. And then you lose by by 15 to Mississippi State. It's like the the constant bouncing around. It's just one of those things where it's just extremely confusing about where they can be consistently in this conference, but as well as in the tournament. I think with Missouri – they're a team that I think could maybe get past the first round of the NCAA uh, tournament. But unfortunately, they haven't built a model of consistency up for me yet to truly believe that they're a dangerous team long term. And we're talking about a win in your in, win in advanced circumstances. And I just think that you have to be relatively consistent to be able to get through a tournament with that kind of implication. And I think this is a year where it's going to be really spread out in terms of who could really be a threat heading into the, at least the sweet 16. I think everybody's penciling Gonzaga as the heavy favorite, but I think there's a lot of good basketball teams that are going to be able to catch a lot of guys slipping on the way up there. I think Missouri's dangerous, but I don't know if they're lethal enough to sneak into even the top 32 come uh, come as we go down the stretch of maybe a tournament like that. Yeah, Missouri could make some noise in the tournament, but I feel like it's going to have to rely on the consistent production at the guard position. Guys like Xavier Pinson, Mark Smith, and Drew Smith. Xavier Pinson is averaging close to 15 points a game. Mark Smith and Drew Smith have been shooting the ball well from the field and from three. So I feel like it's going to have to rely on these three guards to give them production on the offensive side. I do want to mention Jeremiah Tillman, who leads the team in rebounds, and he has been a dominant presence in the paint on both sides of the floor. But like I mentioned, Jalen, or like you mentioned, Jalen, there's there's a chance that they can make it to the round of 32. But I feel like with how tough the SEC is becoming, with the teams like we're going to talk about later, Alabama and Florida, and then teams that we've already talked about, like Tennessee, Arkansas, and LSU. I think it's going to be kind of hard for Missouri to be a consistent team in the SEC tournament, but also in the March Madness tournament, being able to make a run in the March Madness tournament. 
I agree. This is going to be one of those, this is going to be one of those, those tiger teams that we're going to have to keep our eyes out on, but I'm not necessarily sure just how lethal they can be until we see how they move throughout the sec. So thankfully we're in conference play right now. And that's going to be a significant buildup in terms of what uh, they could look like come tournament time. So moving on to Georgia, Georgia is seven and two right now, and they are 0-2 in conference play. Jalen, with Anthony Edwards now in the NBA, who is one guy that you believe can step up and fill his role? Man, so this is this is really interesting, but I got to go with Justin Kier. I think that's the guy that they're kind of leaning on right now in terms of who he is as an offensive threat for this team. Now, I think that that's kind of rough because we're talking about a guy who only averages 12.6 points per game, 4.8 rebounds and four assists, but he's shooting 47% from the field and he's shooting 42.9% from three. I think as a senior leader at 6'4", 190 pounds for this team that's shooting so efficiently for this squad, I think that Georgia, I'm not going to say they necessarily are missing a guy like Anthony Edwards, But you can tell for an SEC program like Georgia that's not used to having NBA-level prospects, let alone the first overall pick in the NBA as a guy to lean on, that they don't necessarily miss him because they're they're playing relatively well, like you said, seven and two so far this year. But they're definitely they they're definitely going to miss him come things like conference play where they've already not performed relatively well and also come tournament time when you need a guy who you can give the ball to to go get you a bucket to win a game in a win or go home situation so I think Justin Kier is gonna have to be that guy I think because he's a senior leader I think that guys are going to rally around him and I think that's going to be really important for them to lean on him at the guard position I think Georgia is a really good team and I think that they've got guys I think that guys like PJ Horn Definitely going to be somebody that's going to be asked to step up significantly. Ty Fagan is another guy who's been coming on strong as of late that I think is going to be really important. And another guy who I think is going to have to play out of his mind come SEC play in particular with all the guard play we see. I think a big man in Tumani Kamara is going to have to be a guy who plays a little bit better over a stretch. We saw him get 19 points in the win over Cincinnati. And I think that that's a sign of things that could be down the stretch. But I just come to wonder what this team can look like overall. But I mean, in their loss against LSU recently, if we're talking about just recent recent play, a guy in Severe Wheeler was another guy that also stepped up at the guard spot. So we've got Severe, we've got Kamara, we've got PJ Horn, we've got Kier, we've got Fagan. When you look at their starting lineup, they've got guys who can put the ball in the basket and play really hard on both sides of the ball. And Kamara's a double-double machine when he really plays aggressively on the boards. He even had 14 uh, points and 10 rebounds in that game against LSU and a barely two-point loss that came down to to, to a, a one-possession game in overtime. So I think this is a team, based on how they played against LSU specifically, I think this is a team that can hang, but you could kind of just tell that they're missing that one elite talent that would make them really dangerous in the SEC, like how, for example, LSU has Cam Thomas. I was intrigued to see how 
how well Georgia would play, considering that Anthony Edwards was the most talented player on their team. And I was more intrigued to see who would fill that role because it was, it was a big role to fill. I agree with you that Justin Kier has been the guy that has mainly filled that role, especially with the senior leadership, like you mentioned, that guys can rally around him. And he's also been a solid shooter from the field and from three. But we also can't forget about the production of guys like Severe Wheeler, like you mentioned, who put up 19 points against Cincinnati. He's averaging close to 14 and eight assists right now. He's been a solid facilitator. You mentioned guys like P.J. Horn, Ty Fagan, and Andrew Garcia, who are 10-point-a-game scorers. And then, of course, with Kamara, who you mentioned as well, that's six guys that I've mentioned that are scoring in the double digits. So they have the talent to make a run in the SEC. But this is another case with Georgia, and I'm going to use the same argument that I used with Missouri. How far are they going to go if they reach the March Madness tournament? And I feel like if they had a guy like Anthony Edwards there, I would be intrigued to see how far and how much of an impact that they would make. I do feel like Justin Kier is going to be that guy late in the games that is going to step up for this team. But I'm intrigued. I think Georgia is an interesting team. And I think Anthony Edwards really put this team on the map. And I feel like come March Madness time, Georgia could be a team that we're talking about that could go to the Sweet 16. Yeah, I think because – and I, I'm going to take that point and kind of expand on it briefly by saying this. A team that is able, able to somewhat seamlessly transition from having a number one overall pick on their team and relying heavily on him from an offensive standpoint to then transitioning into a team concept – based offensive team that spreads the wealth in the scoring department while also playing relatively well team defense across the board just goes to show you where Georgia Georgia as a program is heading considering the fact that they're able to simply do they're able to produce whether they have that top tier talent or not and I think that they're one of the teams in the SEC that may potentially be considered one of the more well-rounded rosters overall because of the consistency that they're getting from a litany of guys like you said six guys that you were able to um, name off that are averaging double figures that kind of consistency across the board is going to make them a dangerous team moving forward and it does definitely make them look like one of the more complete teams in the conference. So moving on now to Alabama. Alabama right now is 8-3, and three, and they are 2-0 and oh in conference play. Jalen, with the return of John Petty, how much of an asset is John Petty to this team? I mean, we're talking about a guy who was a, a fringe late first round to early second round pick going into last year's draft, and that's the kind of talent that you, that you want to have on your roster if you're Alabama. I mean – Alabama had Colin Sexton once upon a time. And if you're talking about having a young bull on your squad, John Petty is that guy. Cause like right now he is balling and he, he's a really interesting prospect at the guard position in the game against Tennessee with the big body win over them. Tennessee's only loss, mind you, he balled out 19 points and seven rebounds with two assists. That'll definitely get the job done. He's a guy who I think when he plays up to snuff, his team follows. 
I think the biggest thing with him is just being consistent as a scorer. The two things, the two, the, the guy that I want to look into specifically between the two people is what I'm trying to say is John Petty is relatively uh, nice, I would say, as a prospect and as a leader at the guard position for this team. But a guy in Javon Quinterly is a guy who I've been paying a lot of attention to as of late. Um, shout out to Jelly Fam. But outside of that, he's a guy who was once committed to Villanova a year ago and transferred to Alabama due to looking for, for playing time. And he's been a guy who at the guard position for Alabama has quietly been kind of doing his thing. He's been in and out of the lineup here and there, which is kind of hurt his consistency, but he's a guy who, you know, when he's on for this team, he plays relatively well. He had 10, he had 10 points and six assists in the win against Tennessee. Um, The game before that against Mississippi, that was the game where he kind of balled out and actually kind of led Alabama to the big 82 to 64 win where he had 24 points and five rebounds. I think if they can get some more consistency from a guy like Javon Quinterly, instead of having him in and out of the lineups to see him kind of playing more consistently, he's a guy who can lead the team and assist, get guys involved. He showed against Eastern, um, Eastern Tennessee state he had 14 points and nine assists. He can he can really fling the ball around. And he's a guy at Curry Camp coming into uh last season before committing to Villanova that showed he can sh- he could shoot the three ball relatively well on top of the shifty handle that he has. He's part of Jelly Fam for a reason. So I think, you know, being with Alabama and John Petty, I think that guard lineup right there could be really dangerous for Alabama. And so far it has. Yeah, and I think it's going to I think Alabama is going to have to rely heavily on this three-guard lineup. I think it's guys like John Petty, Jane Sheckleford as well, and then Javon Quinterly. I think this production from the three guards that you mentioned, this is what's going to take Alabama deep into games. And I think that this is what's going to keep Alabama as a top team in the SEC. Javon Quinterly has had big games this season. He put up 24-5 and five against Mississippi. And he's averaging 13 points a game. Sheckleford, as well, is averaging 13 points a game. And he had a big game against Eastern Tennessee, like you mentioned, 26 points and four rebounds. But John Petty, the return of John Petty has been huge for Alabama. You mentioned he had the caliber of becoming a late first-round pick, early second-round pick in the NBA draft, but decided to go back to Alabama and – This has been a huge addition for Alabama. Talking about their last three games, against Mississippi, John Petty put up 13 points and six rebounds. Against number seven, Tennessee, he put up 17 points and six rebounds in a win over the seventh-ranked team at the time in Tennessee. And then against Florida, 12 points and two rebounds and 62% shooting from the field. Jalen, this is a deadly trio of guards for Alabama. And I feel like looking past the college season, thinking about the NBA draft, I feel like John Petty still has maintained his draft stock. I think he's still a guy who could be drafted in late first round, early second round. And I feel like Sheckleford and Quinterly, I think those two guys are making their case for why they should be drafted. And I think that 
this three-guard lineup right now for Alabama is deadly. And I think going past the college season, these three guards could be very useful to any team in the league. Yeah, I think Alabama's big step is just beating their rival in Auburn. Um, that's coming up tomorrow from when we're recording this. So I uh, I think that that's going to be one of the bigger steps for them because rivalry games are always the ones that kind of take the most out of, a, of an individual. And this will actually be their senior player's last chance at getting a win at Auburn Arena. So I think that that's going to be really important and very motivating for some of their younger younger guys in Petty and Quinterly to be able to help them get that victory. And I think that'll be what propels them into that next level um, as a part of the SEC with the dangerous lineups they already have. So the next team we're going to talk about is Florida. Florida has always been a staple of the Southeastern Conference. And Jalen, they are one of the top seven teams right now in the SEC. Florida's another team that could really make some noise in the Southeastern Conference. But Florida is 5-2 and two right now and 2-1 and one in conference play. Jalen, we know we've seen the news that Keontae Johnson, he's been out for a couple games. How much of a factor do you believe Keontae Johnson plays for the Florida Gators? Ryan, Keontae Johnson was in the arguments for being a top 14 pick in the NBA draft. When you lose that, man, you're, you're talking about being in a really rough spot. Now, don't get me wrong. Scotty Lewis is an NBA prospect. He's been playing relatively well. He had 17 points in the win over LSU. Terrence Mann is a guy who had a lot of hype coming out of high school last season. Also had to come back to school similar to Scotty Lewis to kind of help in terms of improving himself. He had 19 points in that win over LSU. And I think that that's really huge for them because the combination of those two as well as a guy who's an upperclassman um, in Colin Castleton, who's been playing relatively well at that forward position in Keontae Johnson's absence, I think is going to be something that really – kind of defines what their season looks like moving forward. I think Keontae is the truth. I think he's a guy who really is going to be a really good contributor for an NBA team at the next level. And like I said beforehand, whenever you lose somebody of that caliber, you're going to have a rough time. You know what I mean? Like I said beforehand, Colin Castleton has been a guy at the forward position who has picked things up relatively well in Keontae Johnson's absence. And I think that's something to build on, um, especially because the game in, uh, the games in terms of LSU and Vanderbilt, their two wins in SEC conference um, in the SEC uh, conference right now, I think they define what this team could be. Colin had 23 points against Vanderbilt and 21 points against LSU. Vanderbilt is less on this list, but a guy, a team in LSU is going to be a team that you're going to have to fear and you're going to have to keep an eye out on in terms of facing down the line, not only in the SEC tournament, but even potentially as a team you could even catch in the NCAA tournament. So the fact that Colin is playing well against top-level SEC talent tells you that he's able to step up to the plate against big-name competition. And I think that's really important when you have guys like Scotty Lewis and um, Trey Mann who are still kind of 
still kind of trying to put it together. There's still two players who I feel like are fringe late second round picks at best right now. And although I wouldn't say Colin Castleton is necessarily an NBA prospect, he's probably playing the best basketball on the team right now. But like you, like I said earlier, Keontae is a big blow and them not being able to have him throughout the entirety of the season from what it looks like right now could be something that's dangerous. If they get him back, then we've got something going. I think Keontae Johnson has a huge effect on both sides of the floor for Florida. I do agree with you that Castleton has stepped up in trying to fill the role of Keontae Johnson. Just looking at the play of two guys in Trey Mann and Sky Lewis, I think this, this backcourt could be one of the reasons why Florida is having so much success on offense. I think that Trey Mann, a guy who's averaging close to 15 and 6 a game, Scotty Lewis, an NBA prospect, averaging close to 12 and 5 a game. There are two guys who are averaging over a steal a game, and Scotty Lewis is averaging just under two blocks a game. So I think they're getting it done on both sides of the floor. Now, whether or not Keontae Johnson comes back for Florida is the main question. And I feel like Florida is going to win a lot of games with Keontae Johnson on the floor. He has such a positive effect on the winning side for Florida. And he, he gets it done on both sides of the floor. And like you mentioned, he's a guy who could have been a top 14 lottery pick in the NBA draft. And he mm-hmm. still has that capability. But again, I feel like it all comes down to one, whether or not Keontae Johnson comes back this season and two, the play of their two guards, Trey Mann and Sky Lewis. Yeah, I think Florida is one of those teams. I mean, they're at the bottom portion of the top seven that we had, but they're going to be a team that's going to be a force to reckon with. And I think as these guys continue to grow some continuity, I think if they can get Keontae Johnson back, I think that'll also be a serious like resurgence for the roster as those guys were extremely supportive of him through his traumatic situation that took place. And I think that him being able to get back on the court, if he comes back playing at a high level, which is all debatable because of course you want to focus on the kid's safety. Um, but if he comes back and he comes back and plays at a high level, I mean, he instantly makes them a top five, top three team talent wise in the conference, which is a team that can make some noise in the NCAA tournament. So Jalen and I chose two teams that we believe, or chose a team each that could be a sleeper pick. Jalen, who is your sleeper pick? So I got to be honest, I, I, and you're probably going to be really shocked when I say this because you know how I've talked about them on past episodes, but my team is Kentucky, man. I honestly think Kentucky is kind of scary. They're 2-0 and in SEC play right now with back-to-back wins recently. And I was really sitting down and taking a serious look at what this team can, like what this team could have been if we really go down the standings for this, for this, this team season. So the win over Moorhead state, we can mark that down. The, the loss against Richmond was a legitimate uh, 12 point loss. So I think we can chalk that up to saying Richmond was just the better team. Kentucky only lost by three against Kansas. So I think that's a team that's a team that is a little bit more experienced, but had Kentucky just knocked down a couple more shots and converted, which this was a team that was struggling from the floor in that game, which is probably what 
was the biggest significant blow to the team. I mean, both teams didn't shoot very well. I mean, they shot 36% from the floor to the Kansas's 29.9%, but the big kicker was three for 21 from the three-point line. So if you tell me they hit one or two more threes or shoot, they went 15 for 20 from free th- from the free throw line. You tell me they hit those other five free throws. That's a whole different game. So then we go from we go from one and two to now they're two and one. I think the Georgia Tech loss was legitimate because that was a legit 17 point loss. But then they lost to Notre Dame by by one point by one singular point. I think one simple possession switch, and next thing you know, that that loss against Notre, Notre Dame that looked like a big hurt, now is another win. Similar circumstances with the loss to Louisville where they lost by three points. Just a couple of more possessions of conversion, and this is a game where Kentucky actually could have taken out Louisville, and it could have been a relatively closer game, but in favor of Kentucky. Then you go down to their game against Mississippi State and the Vanderbilt, where they won both games close against SEC opponents. So listing all of that out, this is a team that could have easily been six and three instead of three and six with two wins against um against SEC competition. So when you really put it in perspective, you flip that on their head. And you say that this is a six and three ball club with two wins in the conference. I think we could all agree that not only would they be in our top seven, which would completely change this entire conversation we've been having in terms of the top seven, because it would bump out a team like Florida, for example, but it also would make us have a better outlook on who Kentucky is as a team with guys like BJ Boston and Terrence Clark at the helm. So I think they have the kind of talent with those kind of guys that if they can make if they can make plays and run the table I'm not saying go undefeated but run the table and have a relatively plus 500 record in SEC play this is a team that with with the SEC play against teams like they get Florida, Alabama, Auburn, Georgia and LSU is their next couple of teams I think if they can run the table against those teams and maybe win I'm going to say four out of the five and then maybe snag big wins against some of the ranked opponents they have coming up after afterwards um, in Texas, Missouri, and Tennessee, they can really gain some momentum, flip the whole, the whole league in terms of the SEC on its head and turn everybody's heads around and, make, and bring the focus back on Kentucky basketball. So as down as I was on them earlier on in the year, really looking back at their games and also looking ahead to some of what they have going on in terms of how their schedule looks in terms of their opponents that they have coming up next, if they can run the table down the stretch, the ta- kind of talent they have makes them an extremely dangerous team. So I think we got to stop sleeping on Kentucky as as much as I've been doing it all year. I think I'm finally starting to wake up on them a bit. I am kind of intrigued that you chose Kentucky because you were down on them earlier, but I do kind of see your point. I think Calipari is trying to build the continuity between his, his young stars like BJ Boston. And I feel like he's trying to get that chemistry back together, something that they didn't have in the first couple games. So I feel like they're, they're finally developing some chemistry and there's a chance that they can make a run in the SEC. 
my team is Vanderbilt. And mainly because of one man, Scottie Pippen Jr. Vanderbilt's really struggled to gain a lot of ground in the SEC. And they've struggled for good reason. They've had to keep up with teams like Kentucky, Florida, LSU, Arkansas, and now Tennessee. I feel like this SEC division, this SEC conference is getting tougher by the day. But Vanderbilt is a team that I feel like can make some sort of headway. They've lost to Richmond this year, and they beat Radford. They also beat Valparaiso early in the season. They had a a 20-point loss to Davidson. They beat Alcorn State. They lost to Florida, and they lost to Kentucky. Their next three games, I feel like, can define their season. They play Mississippi State. They play number 13, Missouri, and they play number nine, Tennessee. I feel like those three teams or those three games are going to be game changers for Vanderbilt in terms of trying to make headway in the conference. I think that if they can get wins over Missouri and Tennessee, I feel like they'll really state their claim that nobody should mess with Vanderbilt. And like I mentioned earlier, let's talk about one of the main reasons why teams should not mess with Vanderbilt Scotty Pippen Jr. in the five games he's played in Sky Pippen has scored in the double digits 25 points in a win against Radford 24 points in the loss to Davidson 30 points in the win to Alcorn State 18 and 6 assists in the loss to Florida and then an impressive performance that I believe could have resulted in a triple-double, 18 points, 8 assists, and 8 rebounds against Kentucky in a three-point loss. Jalen, I think Scotty Pippen Jr. has proven that he's maybe the best player on Vanderbilt, and he's maybe an underrated player in the conference. He's averaging 22 points a game and 5 rebounds, and just under two steals a game. He's getting it done on both sides of the floor. He's also shooting 46% from the field and 37% from three. And then when he's drawing, drawing contact and getting to the foul line, he's shooting a pretty good 81% from the line. So I feel like it's mainly going to have to come down to guys like Sky Pippen Jr. who carry Vanderbilt to – a top spot in the conference to the SEC championship tournament, possibly to March Madness. But I feel like they're going to have to, I, I feel like the next three games, like I mentioned, Mississippi state, Missouri and Tennessee, those are going to be the games that pretty much define their season. Yeah. And I think the funny part about, a guy in Scottie Pippen Jr. is similar to another NBA son in Ron Harper Jr. for Rutgers. I think they're they're two guys who are performing significantly well within their own conference as, you know, to high-level IQ guys who can score at the guard position and play the guard position relatively well. But being in and out of the lineup, injury history things, and just the fact that there are significant – significantly better teams in the conference above them is overshadowing their individual play. Like you said beforehand, 
it may have just been Alcorn State, but he dropped 30 points in that game. Like you said before, and with the with Kentucky as well, near triple double with 18, 8, and 8 in that game. And that almost resulted in a win in their favor. That was a really like hard fought game down the stretch as well. That ended up being a possession to possession game that just so happened to lean in Kentucky's favor. So I think I think this is a guy, like I said, similar to Ron Harper Jr., that is on the low key tip playing relatively well against SEC competition and playing relatively well this season and is just kind of being overshadowed by the fact that the team's success is not nearly there. Now, Rutgers is in a different circumstance. Their team's success is there. There's just other teams in the Big Ten that are just playing better basketball. But I think both of these guys are going to be guys that are playing themselves into NBA conversations, and they're doing it in a very quiet but deadly way. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, who is one team in the SEC that you believe is your sleeper pick? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.